The unboxing experiences, we have a tagline we put on social media that says unbox the joy. And so I think our products bring joy to people because people are using our products to create that joy. So immediately just upon receiving the box, they were excited because they knew what it was and it was a gift and they just couldn't wait to open it. If you're going to put 100% into your website, you're going to put 100% into your product, you're going to put 100% into your advertising and then you put 20% effort into what they're getting, you've missed. You're done. Hello, everybody. I'm Kelly Martin, and you're listening to Making It Work, brought to you by FedEx. In this series, we talk to some of the U.S.'s smartest small business owners to reveal the reality of starting your own company. Each time, we tackle a different topic. But what never changes is that these entrepreneurs always tell it like it is. This time around, we're thinking inside the box as we discuss the importance and challenges of designing a stellar unboxing experience. So how do you create that doorstep wow factor? And can you deliver it on a budget? Asking the questions is Tom Scallon. 8.3 million. That's the number of people who viewed YouTube's most watched unboxing of the iPhone 13. To put that number into context, 8.3 million is the population of Switzerland or Virginia, if you like your mountains closer to home. The point is video unboxings are a big deal, partly because all you need is a pair of hands and an overhead camera, and partly because, well, we're a captive audience who just can't get enough of them. Most entrepreneurs couldn't dream of that level of attention on one of their products, but that hasn't stopped them from upping their unboxing game. After all, anticipation and excitement both play an important role in the overall product experience. One entrepreneur who knows all about bringing that excitement is Jacqueline Rogers. She's founder and CEO of Greentop Gifts, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. She's creative by nature and invests a lot of time in perfecting her packaging. Her mantra? Unbox the joy. So for us, the unboxing experiences, we have a tagline or like a GIF we put on social media that says unbox the joy. And so I think our products bring joy to people because people are using our products to create that joy and that unboxing experience. So we play an integral part in people's experience. So the present, you put a lot of thought behind the gift, but I put a lot of thought behind the packaging of the gift before they even open it, building that excitement. And so we play a big role in the unboxing. It's also tricky for us because the product we sell, if we're sending it out in press kits or we're sending it out in mailers, how do we give people that unboxing experience for a roll of gift wrap or for a gift bag? And so it gets tricky. So we found ways to use like tissue paper for our apparel that has our branded logo on it because a lot of the stuff that we sell is for holidays and birthdays and for Christmas. And so how do we get that same excitement in our product? So we've done that a lot through our mailer cards. We do like a family photo and a picture and our about us story because people like to unbox. It's a thing. People post it and talk about unboxing and it's difficult to do with one hand. I struggle at it. They're talented people that do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that great at that unboxing experience, um, but I love to see them and I love when our customers share their unboxing and post the photos and tag us. So it is a very unique experience and we're always looking at ways to amplify it for sure. I guess what you could do is invest in an overhead camera. Then you can use both of your hands. I totally want one. I want to like put a GoPro on my forehead. Like when we shoot a lot of content right now, it's been, I shoot a lot of content. <laughs> we outsource some of our photos, but a lot of the video content I shoot at home. And so 
creating content is difficult. And so when I see quality content, I'm always like, how did they, how are they getting that angle? Where is the camera? I'm always looking at it from that lens. I think if you get a GoPro for your head, it'll probably go a little better than when I did it. I'm six foot four. So I just got a lot of footage of the top of people's heads. (laughs) It didn't really make high quality footage. (laughs) I'm only five, five. Oh, you'd be perfect. (laughs) Was a unique and memorable unboxing experience your priority from the beginning, Jacqueline? Or was it something you developed gradually? I would say it's something we developed gradually. We've always had a mailer inside that like a thank you note. I'm a Southern girl. We're big on thank you notes. So that's a tradition. And the thing that Southern women like to do is you don't not send a thank you note. So we always have one that is seasonal for our products. So when we started, that was really just it. And then we have expanded into like the tissue paper. And now we're really just working on how do we, I consider ourselves like a, you know, a high end wrapping paper. So we've really worked on our packaging to make sure everything is branded. The UPC's there, the website's there. And it looks luxury, right? It looks high end. And so people connect with it and see that that branding and making sure they can connect with it. Simple details that I think make people go, oh, there's there was thought behind this. And so those things have kind of changed in the way we go about packaging our products. We don't use a lot of the crinkle paper. People really hate that. And I try to be mindful of what we're using, making sure it's sustainable and not just excessive. So, which can be tricky, but we're working towards it. Yeah. Talk to me about the challenges of sustainability, because it's something that the end user takes really seriously these days. For sure. We're still obviously using cardboard. Our paper is recyclable. We're working on our forest certification. So making sure the product is FCS certified and comes from sustainable sources. And we don't use any glitter on our paper, which allows it to be recyclable and not a lot of foil. You tell me that people do unboxing videos on your products. What are you learning from their content? I am learning from that content. We're also looking at creating a smaller roll or like a folded sheet that we can put because we get opportunities of some of the partnerships we have with like with pretty big brands. They send out kits to their following or creators and they've asked like, oh, well, what can we put in it? And we've done like sticker sheets, which are great. And we've done some coffee mugs, but I want to create a way for us to put our paper inside these boxes for that unboxing experience because if they're sending like a 14 by 11 box out and we can't put a roll of paper in that's 27 inches. So we've got to find a way to share our brand with them in a smaller manner. But I also don't like the paper folded increases. So as a paper snob, I don't like that packaging. (laughs) But I understand for the sake of mailers and gift boxes it needs to be in that that packaging (laughs) just to let you know uh I was interviewing an entrepreneur the other day. I asked him about this unboxing topic and he said, we just put stuff in boxes. So not all entrepreneurs put as much thought in it as you do, Jacqueline. Have you always been kind of creative? Has that always been one of your natural strengths? Yes, I, I would say I'm super crafty. Before I had kids, I had a neighbor tell me, you really need children because the, the ideas and the things you come up with, like... <laughs> And I kind of chuckled at her, but I feel like I've always been crafty. My mom is super crafty. She loved holidays. She's part of the reason why 
I had this desire to do this for my son because she had these moments and memories that she created with me as a kid. She hung rubber spiders from the ceilings for Halloween. Like she was just super crafty and creative. And that I definitely see in myself. So what about someone who isn't super crafty, who isn't particularly creative? What would your advice be to entrepreneurs who want to improve the unboxing experience for their customers? I would say keep it simple, make it true to your brand, look at the color schemes for your brand. How can you integrate your colors in the packaging? Like it doesn't have to be a full mailer box. You could just put your logo. Be mindful of as you're investing in things for unboxing, the amount of product you purchase, because if your logo changes or the season changes or the style of product you sell changes, you don't want to invest in a ton of things for your unboxing experience. And then you move away from that and you're stuck with it. Like you don't want to order, you know, 50,000 boxes and then three months you change your logo. So those are things to kind of be mindful of as you are creating this unboxing experience. And then I'm also mindful of the cost because at the end of the day, yes, it is a great experience, but 90% of the stuff that goes in the unboxing outside of the product, people are going to throw away or recycle. So I don't invest a ton of money into that experience. You want it to be quality, but you don't want to just just blow. I mean, maybe if you have the budget, you just blow it, blow it. But for us, we're very intentional about it. Adding those all-important bells and whistles to the unboxing experience came very naturally to Jacqueline. As a mother of two who loves crafting, she not only understood the importance of a first good impression, she knew how to deliver it on a budget. Two entrepreneurs who had a slower start are Graham Vesey and Fisk Bigger, co-founders of Graham and Fisk's Wine in a Can. This Ohio-based duo used to send out their wine in a drab old cardboard box. But when direct-to-consumer sales exploded during the pandemic, so did their customers' expectations. And they set about improving that all-important unboxing experience. So when you think about the unboxing experience, you've got to think about not when the physical package arrives, but the first second that a consumer, what we like to think of as our drinking buddies, you sees your brand landing page or the ad that you're trying to entice them to click on to get to the landing page. And it's that full through line from the checkout experience to the language that you're using in the confirmation email to the shipping tracking information. All of that is super important and something that you've got to be intentional about. And you also realize that you can get better every day and treat it as an editorial opportunity so that there's seasonality too, so that it's not just the same postcard that thanks the customer for their order in January as it is in May. And that looking way more summer and excited for the pool and warm weather than when it's snowflakes on the ground. So that's really the opportunity is the whole life cycle of the experience with the consumer should be thought of as unboxing. And it's been a lot of fun for us to collaborate between the two of us and our team to improve that and have a continuous improvement mindset. I think I'm just going to rename this podcast, Then COVID Happened, because it's yeah. been a really <laughs> similar story in terms of direct-to-consumer and entrepreneurs feeling like they have to up their game. So in 2018, if I was going to buy your wine and it turned up on my doorstep, what would I have gotten? You would have gotten a brown box filled with corrugated brown paper, eight cans, 12 cans, 24 cans, compactly stuffed inside of it. 
in a pretty bland packing slip that probably had Arial font that was generated from a QuickBooks or you know what we were using, but you know, something super basic yep. because we thought, oh, the cans are the only thing that people care about. And the reality is that's what people are drinking, but they're consuming a lot more than just what's in each of those cans. If you're going to put 100% into your website, you're going to put 100% into your product, you're going to put 100% into your advertising, and then you put 20% effort into what they're getting as far as the experience and unboxing it, you've missed. You're done. And I think that was the moment for me and where I was falling short and being like, well, you know, it's going to cost us $2 more package and got kind of lost. And then it's going to take probably a little bit longer and got lost in the opera. But you're done. You got to figure it out. You got to make sure that you're 100% all the way through. And then it doesn't stop there. What's your follow up? Are you 100% on your reorder cycle? How are you making sure that you're communicating the their experience? Are you getting customer reviews? Did you get a bad one? Are you solving that? What is your conversation? So it that the unboxing experience is part of everything, but it's, it is the moment for your new customer that you make your brand impression. You're back to Fisk's point earlier is the first order. Let's high five that we get a new consumer, but let's not really celebrate until they order again. Let's talk about costs a little bit because it's not insignificant, is it? So just a few cans in a cardboard box might not spark joy, but it's definitely cheap. So when we made the change, we multiplied the cost of the packaging by four. So it's four times more expensive just from a cardboard standpoint to do it. Now, we charge the consumer zero more dollars for that. But we also then don't get hit in the long term on cans that get dented. And so there's also there's I don't know if it's necessarily an opportunity cost that we like our return rate went down to nothing. It was we made that decision saying it's going to cost us more on the front end, but we're not going to have dented cans. We're not going to have customer reshipments out of complaints. And all of that worked. So while, yes, we spent a couple more bucks per shipment. We're getting the product, A, with the experience, and B, it worked out functionally far better than what we were doing. So the risk worked. And and that was part of the design. It was intentional. And so it's form and function met with what we're putting out there now. You're listening to Making It Work, coming up. So we got our first quote back for custom boxes and it was like $60,000 and my mind was blown. That's like my packaging budget for the entire year. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There's no way we're not doing it. Then we started realizing that like people really want to know who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, why it's important and why they should be really excited that they just got these flowers because... Frankly, anybody can put flowers in a box. I asked you if you'd like to talk about the unboxing experience and you said, ah, well, we don't really do that much, but it sounds like you're doing a hell of a lot. We're trying, we're getting better. The pandemic really changed the game in terms of direct-to-consumer and in turn, the unboxing experience. Retail stores don't really care about the box that products are delivered in, but when you've spent $17 on a pound of artisanal fudge to arrive at your door, You want your neighbours to know about it. One entrepreneur who knows about that all-important first impression is Stephanie Duncan, co-owner of Floral Genius, a floral design mechanics business, and Harmony Harvest Farm, a fresh-cut flower distributor. 
Like many entrepreneurs, COVID forced her to make a change in her business model. But with direct-to-consumer booming, it was an opportunity for her to create a beautiful unboxing experience that enforced her grown-in-USA message. A little bit of background, starting with Harmony Harvest Farm, we were originally a wholesale company. So we still shipped flowers, but we only shipped flowers to floral designers throughout the East Coast. And then, of course, our dear friend COVID made a big dramatic entrance (laughs) and all of uh, the events, all of the weddings and all of our revenue came to a screeching halt. So in this really beautiful story, we ended up completely pivoting our business like a lot of people did, but to be more retail focused, direct to consumers. So we were lucky in the fact that our website was already set up as e-com. We had art, we were taking orders for bulk flowers for designers through the website. So from a technical standpoint, the pivot was pretty easy. From a delivery standpoint, everything pretty much remained the same, except for the fact that we now had to create an experience in a box. And that has been something that we've been building. So one of the things that we realized was that we wanted people to have a a really personal connection to the flowers because that's how we are. We have a super personal connection to our flowers because we grow all of them. And so one of the first things that we did was we simply put a sticker on the box that said, open immediately, flowers for, and then a big blank inside. And we actually write the recipient's name handwritten on every box so that they know like these these are flowers in here and they're for me. So immediately just upon receiving the box without even knowing who we are, because yes, it has our logo on it. They were excited because they knew what it was and it was a gift and they just couldn't wait to open it. So as they opened this box, you know, we, we kind of went through a few iterations. Our bouquets are shipped in presentation style. So they're, yes, they have some like packaging padding that needs to be opened. But once you open that, you then have this beautifully laid out bouquet wrapped in brown paper with a, you know, tied up with string, just like, you know, the sound of music that me and my sister performed diligently throughout our whole childhood in the basement. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're going to want to hear that later. First video a lot, but as kids, it was hard for us to get through the second. So we know what happens in the end. But I don't know if we can nail the songs. Um, <laughs> the so so then we started realizing that like people really want to know who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, why it's important, and why they should be really excited that they just got these flowers. Because frankly, anybody can put flowers in a box. I mean, yes, shipping perishables is very difficult. It has its own set of challenges, but realistically, anybody can do, anybody can put anything in a box. So we knew that we needed to really tell our story. So, you know, we actually worked with FedEx Print, our local office center, to start developing some collateral. Like, let's start testing some different things. And that's why I like working with them the most because of the fact that I was able to do short runs and continuously iterate because there's always like, oh, let's change this one little thing or let's add this or let's add that. And so it it really allowed us to be agile in our box experience development, which we're still working on. So right now our boxes, yes, still have that sticker with the handwritten name. The bouquets are a beautiful presentation that are designed to be shipped. So they're flat on the bottom and very beautiful and, and, and full on the top like on the front side. And we also have things that talk about who we are and all those little check boxes, why this is important, 
why we're doing what we're doing. What a lot of people don't know is that over 80% of the flowers in the U.S. are imported. So people aren't always getting the luxury of experiencing domestic flowers. They're getting roses and mums and Gerber daisies and different things that are historically common in the supply chain and will make it from all of these countries who are excellent growing florals into the country. But there is something really unique and beautiful about the flowers that grow right here on U.S. soil. So the made in America or rather grown in America message comes across quite prominently in the whole unboxing experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're really proud of that. Now, um, by all means, we in our in the other company that we have, Floral Genius, we ship internationally and we very much value international trade. We believe that there has to be balance everywhere. And we all, you know, as a global economy, we all need each other to succeed. But when it comes to flowers, you know, 80-20 international versus domestic is a little heavy. So our goal is just to see if we can kind of take back even 10% of that market share, 70-30. Let people experience and see, you know, the different types of flowers that are really available right here that they're not going to get otherwise. The transition from wholesale to direct to consumer must have been a massive one. And my guess is that you had to put it into action quite quickly. So did you decide when you transitioned that people really wanted to know where the flowers were coming from and and who was picking them? Ever since we started the farm in 2012, we've always been huge advocates of American grown flowers. So even when we were in the wholesale space, we were still standing on that mountain screaming as loud as we could. And we realized that with the pivot to retail, there was a really great opportunity to bring that message to people who definitely had never heard it. The floral industry, yes, they've heard it. They know whether they care or not on them, whatever. The American public like maybe hadn't heard that message. And so for us, we saw it as a huge opportunity. I mean, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we were going to do. And I say that kind of we didn't spend a lot of time figuring out what we were going to do. Scratch that part. What am I talking about? <laughs> COVID happened. We had no idea what to expect at the time. So we sent all of our staff home for 30 days and made them the promise not that not only would there be a farm to come back to, it was going to be better. I don't know when we stood in front of them what we were exactly thinking, because at that time we had no plan, but we knew something was going to happen. So... We ended up like the only thing blooming at the time on the farm was daffodils, which are probably like just not the most exciting flower. But we also have four children who were at home from school, cooped up in the house. They needed something to do. And at this point, like we were really like trying to ignore the fact that we were going to have to educate them because that was just not our wheelhouse. But we knew that, you know, we weren't alone. And so we were like, oh, well, let's just put together something to get people through until this is all over. Ha 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 ha. So we ended up putting a, a handful of daffodils, a pin cup, which is one of our flower frogs. So a, a cup that holds water with a little flower holder in it and a interactive flower project that we put together with the help of a fourth grade science teacher. And we literally just kind of put it out to the world and said, if you need something to do here, we'll, we're calling it the happy box. It's got something for kids. It's got something for adults. There's coloring sheets in here. There's a science project. And if you're not into that, there's flowers and a flower holder and like this is just kind of for everybody, you know, to get us through. And we put it up and immediately sold out of like, I mean, it was insane. So we were like, okay, there's a thing here. 
I think you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice when you say you didn't put much thought into it. Because I would think it would be easy if you're selling flowers to be complacent because you're like, yeah, people are getting flowers. They're beautiful. Why do we have to bother with anything else? I, I guess I mean, like in the beginning, we didn't have time to really think things through like we do today. Like today, like we have like timelines. We really strategize. Everything we try to do is intentional. We try really hard to be better at planning now than we were then. It was survival mode. It was do what you got to do to keep not just the lights on. The lights on are great, but we have a whole team of people that depend on us. And we will not let them down. Like we take the fact that we employ people incredibly serious. And I think every business owner should. Like if you think that they don't have to work here or whatever it is, you're really doing yourself a disservice as you, you know, using your words, because that that is that is our biggest responsibility is our people. Stephanie's transition to beautiful unboxing didn't happen overnight. It was an iterative process that was built over time. She's not the only one that was a little late to the game. Let's finish up with New Orleans-based entrepreneur Krista Cotton, CEO of El Guapo Bitters. With a background in branding, she's always had a keen eye for aesthetics. Pretty evident if you visit her social media or online store. Until recently, this didn't extend to the unboxing experience. Not least because she felt fancy packaging was just way too pricey. But with some creative cost-cutting and a little help from FedEx, you'll have noticed that your old Guapo Bitters have had a bit of a makeover. When we first started, we had next to no money and we would buy corrugated that as cheaply as possible. We would go on all these sales websites. There's this one, bigassshipping.com and get like the least expensive, whatever we could get because we were trying to make every penny stretch as far as possible. And we didn't know what we were doing. We would put like a crazy amount of bubble wrap and then like tape it with this like horrible tape from a tape gun. It was terrible, but that's what people would get. And there was no, thank you for buying El Guapo. There was no discount on your second order. There was nothing. And we would listen to feedback though, when we would get customers that would write us in. Oh, and also when we started, we didn't even have reviews on our website. So we weren't getting feedback to even know what we should be doing. So this went on for the first two years or so. And once we got into Neiman Marcus and we realized we needed to sort of make things a bit more pristine, our product is the upper end of the market. So our clients are Whole Foods and Neiman Marcus, not necessarily the mid-market, even though we do work with some mid-market retailers like Costco. Our products are very high-end and our price point reflects that, but our packaging did not. So we worked with our art director to first design a little insert that went into every box that said, you know, thank you for your order. I tend to be a little cheeky, a little funny. I don't take myself too seriously. So all of our branding and marketing all sort of reflects that. So we started with one very basic leaflet that was that has some funny sayings on it. And then it gives everybody a 10% off discount for your second order. And so we started with that, but it was still basic box, no branding, terrible tape with bubble wrap. So then as it got more and more successful, we started thinking, okay, well, maybe we can afford to get custom inserts because all of our products are breakable. They're glass, they're full. The actual engineering of the packaging really matters and that's very expensive. So we got our first quote back for custom boxes and custom inserts for our gift sets. And it was like $60,000 and my mind was blown. That's like my packaging budget for the entire year just to get this one thing done. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There's no way we're not doing it. And 
60,000 for how much? It was more the design and then getting, it was the engineering and then it was printing them, but it was the first truckload. It would have been 60K for the inserts that go in the boxes. And these were not branded. This is not printed. This was just like the basics. So it took me at first, I'm like, no way. And at this point we had hired our first operations manager and she came from another very popular CPG brand. And she kept pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. And finally I I was like, okay, I was on the FedEx entrepreneur board and I brought it up on the entrepreneur phone call. And some of the other entrepreneurs said, you know, there's this FedEx testing site and you can send your packaging in and they'll do drop testing on it to see if it passes the FedEx standards. And then I was thinking, okay, well, this is perfect because the, there's no way that these new boxes are going to pass the breakage test. So we'll ship them into FedEx and this will kill everybody on the team saying that we need to spend $60,000 on these ridiculous boxes. So I send them to FedEx and they passed. And so then the team is saying, you know, we really need to do this. They're beautiful. You should just, you should just do it. So we compromised and we did, we, we bought them, but instead of printing on the boxes and making them branded, we printed plain and I ordered stamps where every box is hand stamped. And that still goes with our brand. We have a apothecary look and feel. So stamping every box felt authentic, but it's a lot cheaper to buy one $50 stamp and an ink pad and stamp the outside, even though it is a little bit more expensive in labor than to print every box. So we, we went that route. We found the middle road, but it was so popular over the holidays and we saved so much time on shipping because the inserts saved time on every single order that we're actually about to spend even more money to do the custom inserts again. And this time everything, the out, the exterior box and the interior box will all be printed, but we're printing everything in white and we're not using any sort of like seals or coatings because we want everything to be recyclable. And that is also really important to our brand. We're trying to be as eco-friendly as possible, but it turns out that the packaging experience is really important to customers, but it also saves us money if we do it correctly in our shipping and logistics department, because they're not having to uh, individually wrap every single breakable bottle and put it in a box. So we're getting smarter about what we're doing, but it's, it's cost savings, but it's also effective for the unboxing experience because people enjoy the experience of opening a beautiful beautiful package. And we're getting better about what lanyard we're putting in every box. So we, during the holidays, we always come up with some limited edition single use items. So whether it's a single serving of syrups or a tiny bitters bottle, or just something that is very unique that you can only get if you order from our website during the holidays that goes in these boxes. And the feedback we get from our customers is unreal. They're always asking about what the next thing is. And it's so fun. Before we started this conversation, I asked you if you'd like to talk about the unboxing experience and you said, ah, well, we don't really do do that much, but it sounds like you're doing a hell of a lot. We're trying, we're getting better. You said nitty gritty. I started with the bad part, but this is really honestly COVID too. And I should have said this when I was talking, COVID really changed this for us. Here's what happened in our business. Pre-COVID, 65 to 70% of our business was wholesale and distribution. So whether we were shipping by the pallet or by the case, that is how it was leaving. Our direct-to-consumer through our website and Amazon was 30% or less every year if you go back to 2017 when we started. When COVID hit, we lost our Costco supplier diversity deal. They literally pulled our pallets from our 24-store rotation because they needed that space for toilet paper. And then all of our bar and restaurant partners around the country closed. So within a week, we lost our, our two primary sources of revenue. And I thought we were going to have to file for bankruptcy. 
So we ended up realizing though, that our website traffic was more than 10 X what it was before the shutdown started happening in the U S. So we spent an aggressive amount of time pushing new recipes onto social media and onto our blog and then linking by the time the blog recipes didn't even link back to the recipes to, or to the website to buy the products in the individual recipes. So we did all of that. And this was me like sleeping as little as possible and working around the clock to get this done because I knew that this was our only avenue to save the business. And if you look at the height of the pandemic, our sales went from 70% wholesale and distribution to 92% direct to consumer. And that was like a huge shift yeah, it's a classic COVID story. We need to go direct to consumer and now we need to get our yeah. shit together. Yeah, and and we were lucky that we had the bones. Like we had the website up, we had the listings, we were already on Shopify, we had a Clavio account. Like we, we had the basics, we weren't paying attention to them, but that changed in an instant. And then it was really, how quickly can we get this together? How can we make it beautiful? Because one of our most popular items is a Bitters of the Month subscription. And it used to just be bitters in a box. That was it. Bubble wrapped in a plain box and we didn't do anything else. Once this happened and we realized people wanted these recipes, we started pulling a new recipe every time because we only have 12 bitters flavors. So if you subscribe for a year and then you resubscribe, you're going to get the same product more than once. But we changed the recipes that are in the box and we changed the lanyard that comes with it so that even if you're a longtime subscriber and it comes around to your second year and you're getting the same love potion bitters for Valentine's Day, you're getting different recipes and you're getting different things, whether it's garnishes or syrups that come along with it. And we are even talking about expanding that from having bitters of the month to having cocktail of the month, like a cocktail club for El Guapo, because we know that people want that and they're requesting it from us all the time, but we're getting better and better at our packaging and unboxing experience. And I think that that just brings more people in and it, it's like a bigger draw because we're just paying more attention to what we're doing in packaging. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Christopher, for taking part in our little unboxing episode. Uh, I should point out Making It Work isn't sponsored by BigAssShipping.com. <laughs> well, if you need to save money and you're on a shoestring budget and you're just getting started, they were good to us. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> I'll keep it in mind. Coming up next time. Does SEO work? Yes, it does. Would I claim to be a master of it? Not by any means. I'd be a millionaire if I had a dollar for every email I get in my inbox from someone who wants to help my SEO grow or who wants to help our email strategy. They're relentless. I think that content is king. You have to have a way to get content out there. There's the, the cliched line, but it's true. Content is king. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Making It Work. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to give us a rating and leave us a comment. We absolutely love hearing your feedback. You can now read show notes for Making It Work episodes by visiting fedex.com slash making it work. And we're only an email away at making it work at fedex.com. Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Stephanie Duncan, Krista Cotton, Graham Vesey and Fisk Bigger, and Jacqueline Rogers. Making It Work is produced by Yolene Marguerite, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg, with creative direction from Jeroen von Koningshoven. Music by Fresh Big Mouth, who created the song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub. This show is delivered to you by FedEx and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin.